0: Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really wonderful to have you here. On today's episode, I welcome writer, drummer, and fellow substacker S.W. Lawden. We discuss Remember the Lightning, Lawden's terrific substack on guitar pop, as well as his life as a legit rock drummer. Let's get into it. Everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really wonderful to have you here. Really appreciate you pressing play. Uh, today on the show, I've got writer, drummer, and all-around awesome dude and rock and roll lover, S.W. Lawden. Um, we had a great Great discussion about a whole bunch of things, including Steve's great work as a drummer in the bands Czar and the brother Steve and his terrific sub stack, Remember the Lightning, and all of the work that he's done that's kind of attached to that. Uh, it's a really great episode with a guy who is a really terrific writer, covers a lot of really interesting stuff, and just has had a really kind of fascinating life. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode um, before we dive into the the deep details of uh, my conversation with uh, with SW Lawden, uh, let's do some uh, some housekeeping stuff real quick. Let's go over a couple of things that have been happening over on the blog and in my life, and um, just just kind of a quick little update thing before we dive into the meat and potatoes of the interview. Uh, friendly reminder: Are you all listening to the regular? Every Friday radio shows. They air every Friday at noon Eastern, as my friend Pete Dominic says, the only time zone that matters. Uh, noon Eastern. Um, and uh, it's every Friday. I play a one-hour themed radio show all based on some kind of an idea. could be New Beginnings or uh, Geographical Region or Cover Songs or something else. Uh, we've done a bunch of these now. They've, they are super fun to put together. You guys seem to really be enjoying them. And I, I want to make sure that you know that there are actually three different times each week that this will get potentially in front of you. So... The shows air at suburbsradio.com, which is where they're posted on the Rock in the Suburbs Radio Network first. Um, that's who I'm doing the shows with. And they have this awesome internet radio station called Rock in the Suburbs Radio. Again, the address is suburbsradio.com. My show airs live there every Friday at noon Eastern. If you miss that show or you can't listen on uh, Fridays at noon Eastern, you can always go back and on each Tuesday morning, I will publish a little essay as well as some artwork and a replay uh, audio file of the entire episode so you can catch those and those are archived under the WAIM radio tab at whatamimaking.substack.com, so make sure you're checking those out, and then every single week on Thursday, the day before the radio show goes live, you have a chance to comment about that week's theme, so I might say, hey, what's your favorite song by a Canadian band, or what's your favorite song about a color and you'll have a chance to chime in, and you can, of course, answer more than one, and it leads to some really fun uh, discussions and some some kind of back-and-forth stuff that's been really, really enjoyable. And uh, the more stuff we can get like that going, the more people we can get involved, the larger we can make this community. I think the the more fun that this whole thing is going to be. So make sure you're listening to all the episodes, whether they're live or archived, and make sure you're participating in these discussions every Thursday. It's, it's really fun. It'd be great to have you get involved. So... Um, Another friendly reminder, I am hitting the road this summer. Throughout the month of June, I will be across the eastern half of the U.S. I have solidified a couple of dates since the last time I brought this up to you, but I do still have a fair number of dates that need to be uh, confirmed. I need hosts. I'm doing a bunch of these as house concerts and in alternative venues, and if you are anywhere near any of these cities, specifically, I'm looking for a bunch of dates right now in the southeast. Things like Uh, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Missouri, um, South Carolina, North Carolina. Where are you? I've got a couple of dates in and around D.C. and Baltimore that I would love to fill. You can go over to phonaforerecords.com slash Matthew Carlson to see a whole list of shows, where I'm going to be and where I still need hosts. Uh, These are really fun. It won't cost you any money to host except for maybe sharing some food with your friends and um, it's it's a really wonderful way to spend the evening. It's a much easier thing to do than you might think and doesn't require the kind of room that you might expect. Um, so reach out. You can either get a hold of me through the blog at whatamimaking.substack.com or you can email me at whatamimakingblog at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and to uh, have you help me put a show together. I'm really, really excited about this tour. I'm also doing this really cool postcard program. So make sure you go over to uh, the Phonafor Records shop and you can support my tour by buying either one postcard or a series of postcards. And what I'll do is while I'm actually on the road this summer, I will buy a postcard just for you, write out a little handwritten note, attach a stamp and mail it to your house. So you'll get a nice, lovely little surprise in your mailbox instead of a bill or junk, which is what you get. And I'll get some much-needed financial support to help to uh, power the uh, the little subs, substack, no, Subaru Outback uh, across the eastern half of the U.S., my little mini tour bus that I'll be taking with me. So make sure you jump on there and uh, take a look at the postcard program and uh, support any way you can. Um, have you guys been seeing the 13 film series that I've been doing? Uh, I shared a whole set of them with uh, with you guys from my movie club, my family movie club. So there was my list and then four others. And then I've just started doing genre-specific lists as well. And so um, I've been having a lot of fun with this. This has led to a great deal of discussion and feedback. And I'm looking for more guinea pigs. I want to share... Different folks' lists. I want to help you put your list together. This is easier than you might think. Yes, people are actually interested. Yes, people want to talk about this stuff. And yeah, you can do this. So why don't you go ahead and either email me or reach out to me through the blog, whatamimaking.substack.com, and uh, you can uh, you can get started right now, and I can help you put together your 13 films list. You can give me the films. I can format it with photographs. I can even help you write. Uh, short uh, little descriptions or, uh, you know, small like two and three paragraph little entries about why those films are on your list and why they matter to you, Uh, I can help you do this. I would love to have you be a part of this. As I say all the time, I want this to be collaborative and community-based, so please make sure... That you are uh, participating in this and that you're getting a hold of me and putting one of these together. It's super fun and it's a really interesting process. Um, I've learned a lot about myself as a film goer and as a person. Um, And I think I've learned a lot about what I'm into culturally as well. It's been really, it's been a really fascinating um, experience to do this. And as I've done this with the folks in my family movie club, We've all had really great conversations where they've gotten a lot more insight about their own viewing habits. And, of course, we're able, as objective viewers, to provide that for other people and talk to them about their lists. So it's really fun. I'd love to have you be a part of it. Um, Make sure you check out the article that I did called Ocean Between the Art Forms. This is another kind of sort of deep dive into the economics of streaming. Specifically, in this case, I look at the economics of digital Music streaming versus digital film and TV streaming and how those worlds are priced and look and work very very differently from each other hence the ocean between the art forms I think it's it asks more questions than it answers but i'm I'm fine with that that's explorative journalism I want to get to the bottom of some of these things but I don't know these answers and I think the only way to really start figuring out the best way to get those answers is to start writing about it and to start covering it. And so I'm just going to continue to have these conversations. I know for some of you, you're tired of me talking about Spotify or you feel like I'm bashing on you. I'm not, I'm trying to solve a problem. Um, I don't want to preach to anybody and I'm not, again, I've, I've been very open about what I would ask of listeners to do uh, if they're Spotify subscribers and how they can, how they can help. I've, I've published essays on this. I've published at least three different pieces directly related to this issue. This, this piece called Ocean Between the Art Forms that compares film and TV against uh, digital music streaming and how those two worlds appear to be very, very different in terms of their economic structure, um, neither of them are perfect, but one of them appears to be a much more playing field and also allows for the parties that be, um, in terms of the labor portion, in this case, the writers and actors, they were able to put together their own labor movement to collectively bargain for a better deal. Musicians have not had any success in doing that, and I don't see that succeeding anytime soon. Um, But I still think these are important questions to ask and um, interesting avenues to go down, and I I hope you'll, you'll take a look at that. Also, remember that most of these longer essays that I'm publishing do come with an audio version. So you can listen to me reading the story oftentimes with uh, a little bit of a score as well. Not always, but sometimes. And um, it's a way for you to to, to sort of capture these and, and collect them in the same way that you would this pod. Uh, in fact, all of these articles are showing up in the same pod feed, if that is helpful for you. Uh, also want to let you know about a new thing we've just started called the Best Band of the 90s Bracket Challenge. That's a lot of bees. We are working our way through. I have winnowed down the bands of the 90s and um we are looking specifically at sort of guitar pop guitar rock bands that are in the indie and alternative rock uh genre we've 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 tried to stay away from things like you know techno and hip-hop and butt rock and things like that um so mike you know over the next several weeks we're gonna have four new matchups every saturday where you're gonna be able to vote whether one band is better than another. Um, Make sure that you're going in and you're voting in those every week and that you're paying attention and playing along. Make sure if you're enjoying that, that you're sharing this or any other content that you like uh, with your friends and the people on your socials. That, of course, is the fastest and most effective way for us to grow the show here. I should also mention uh, your subscriptions are so sorely needed. Obviously, we would love to have any and all subscriptions Paid, free, or otherwise. So sign up at whatamimaking.substack.com if you're not already a member. And if you have a little cash, the thing that makes this show go, the thing that makes the engine at What Am I Making run is your subscription dollars. This is all funded through your paid subscriptions. All the money that you pay into Substack goes directly to me with the exception of a small fee, which Substack takes for basically hosting the site, which I think is fair but what it means is that every dollar of this that's going to somebody that's creating this is going to me so basically 90 cents out of every dollar goes directly to me when you make a subscription and i use that to to live on <laughs> i use that to sort of justify at least a portion of the time that i am spending on this wonderful project but it is a, a wonderful project that takes a lot of time and energy and effort and um your paid subscriptions do a great deal to make that happen. So please go over to whatamimaking.substack today. Sign up for a monthly, a yearly, or even a founding member subscription. They start for as little as $5 a month. Um, make sure, again, that you like, rate, and review the pod wherever you listen. You are probably in that player right now. Go in there. Oh, and make sure you're subscribed. A lot of people are subscribed on the Substack, but they're not necessarily subscribed in the player that they use for their pods and that's not how they listen to the show they don't listen through the excuse me they don't listen through the the player in the in the uh Substack app or in the email they listen through a specific pod player like Spotify or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts um so if you're doing that if you're not listening in the Substack app please Go like, rate, and review this. If you are listening in the Substack app, you can just like and leave a comment on the show. That helps immensely as well. Make sure you're going back and listening to old episodes. Those are all still available completely for free. All right, let's get on to my guest, S.W. Lawden. Remember the Lightning is a regular love letter to guitar pop. Its author, S.W. Lawden, has been firmly in the grasp of rock and roll since he can remember. Laudan has truly lived a life in the rock and roll trenches and lived to tell the tale. He's played drums in one time major label Darling Czar, as well as his current band, The Brother Steve. Lauden's writing on music has been a lifelong love affair culminating in several nonfiction books on the subject, along with a series of punk rock detective novels featuring musical P.I. Greg Salem. Lauden is even collecting the best writing regularly from his Substack along with several guest contributors for physical books on the subject of guitar pop and its various iterations and purveyors. During our eclectic and well-rounded chat, we hit upon the idea of cultural inheritance and how we all rebel against it. Steve and I discuss how guitar-based rock music has ceased to be the dominant force in music any longer and why it really needed to go back underground to get relevant once again anyway. There are forays into the lasting legacy of the Beatles, the waning influence of rock and roll, and the glory of growing up with older brothers who were more like cool uncles. Of course, we also tackle the overuse of the term power pop and the desperate nerds that try so neatly to define it. This is a great chat with a terrific writer who has lived a life and seen his share of rock history, and a guy who has as much to say and to share about that art form and where it is headed. And why it still matters. Here now is my conversation with writer, drummer and all-around good dude, SW Lauden. Enjoy. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> just like that. Just like well, we'll 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 do an intro and then I'll edit it and we'll uh we'll 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 make it seem like it's a pro pro move, but we'll go ahead and start recording now so we don't miss any good shit, you know?
1: That that Mark Marin cold open that, methodology.
0: Uh, okay, so I don't do the Marin cold open, but I, I do kind of <laughs> have a thing where I do the awkward intro where I'm like, I don't really know how to do this. I just like talking to people, and so we just start. Okay. <laughs> where are you in the world? I'm in Grand Ledge, Michigan. Where okay. are you? Are you in I'm Los in, Angeles? Uh,
1: Los Angeles, yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Uh I I I as as much as I'm a National League uh not guy, I'm an American League guy, I do like your hat. That's very nice.
1: Well, I, and I will be honest, it's funny. I just was uh I was in Northern California the week after the holidays and there's this weird lopsided rivalry that happens where like people of in Northern course. California hate the Dodgers. Yes and then people down here don't really don't give a shit or don't care for California very much. But mm-hmm. so I was wearing my Dodgers hat. And I'm actually not that big of a Dodgers fan. Okay. I like the city. Gotcha. <laughs> That's okay. why I have the hat.
0: Understood. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. Um. So are you from L.A. originally? Yeah, I
1: grew up here. I grew up in the uh, South Bay, sort of uh, Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach area.
0: What era? Uh, 80s. 80s. Okay. So were you there for like the Minutemen and that whole thing? That was yeah, it's
1: just before me, but like those are all the bands I grew up loving. Like okay. the guys from the descendants went to my high school a few years before me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like as much as that wasn't my thing, like that was so that's all just a little bit before me. Um I graduated in ninety, so like I missed that by just a little bit. I got all that sort of tangentially. But like for all those people who like I have a couple friends who grew up in California. And like, it's just a it's a cultural thing, right? Like, it's just a it's a uh, not a rite of passage, but like almost like a like an heirloom that you carry.
1: Yeah, no, I I, uh, uh, I will misquote a writer friend of mine who said, if you grow up in the South Bay at a certain point when you're about 12, they hand you a skateboard and a black flag album and go,
0: this is what you are now. See, I think that's beautiful. Like, I love that that idea that like some of this is cultural I- cultural identity that we've accepted and that we've owned. Like you and you and I are are you and I you you and I are dudes who are closer to the end than the beginning. Let's let's say yeah yeah yeah. Um, and so, in in many respects, we're kind of we're kind of coming down on the other side of it. But like, there's a lot of stuff that we decide we're gonna love. And you and I have spent our lives writing about that and talking about that with people that we care about. And then there's the shit that's just handed to you that you don't have a choice. It's just given to you.
1: You know, I, I agree. The uh, The funny thing is the punk rock was sort of my salvation from the thing that was just handed to me because I had. Two- I don't
0: mean to cut you off, Steve, but does that mean it's both? It, it
1: is. I mean, in a way, and I'll explain, like I, I have two older brothers and they're much older than me. Okay. They're eight and nine years older than me. So they were like, almost like fun uncles in a way. Uh-huh. You know, I'm in like elementary school and they're like getting ready to graduate high school. Sure. Um, and they were dyed in the wool, seventies, hard rock metal dudes. Okay. So that was the music that was just my lineage. That was my birthright. Okay. I wanted, I, I looked up to my older brothers. I thought they were the coolest people walking the planet. I wanted to be one of them. Of course. Um, and so I immediately adopted their music. And so consequently, and th- and because they were so cool, like by the time I'm like 12 and 13, I've seen Aerosmith live. I've seen Dio, I've seen oh, shoot, Mario dude. Speedwagon. Like they would just take me to concerts with their like drugged out, wasted friends, you know? Um, so I saw a lot of stuff really young and then they started a hair metal band and one played guitar and one played bass. And so I was like, oh man, one of these days, uh, I'm going to play, I'm going to play in a band with my brothers, which is why I started playing drums. So, oh my God. So I, that was my start. Like I didn't start, but most people I know either started with punk that are around our age Mm -hmm. uh, either started with punk or they started with like sixties music and they kind of worked their way forward. I started with like just dumb late seventies, early eighties headbanging music. Um, And then punk rock was my salvation. It was the first time where I felt like I was listening and embracing music that was my own. And that's sort of where it all took off for me.
0: So what was uh what was that period like? Like what was the what were the records that did it and what was that time frame? Like how old were you? What year was it? All that stuff?
1: Yeah, I think I was like uh I think I was like 12. It's a story I like to tell because I published I edited and curated an essay collection for uh an LA-based publisher called Rare Bird Books and the collection was called Forbidden Beat: Perspectives on Punk Drumming. And I got close to 30 essays and interviews from people talking about their favorite punk drummers or talking about their experience as a punk drummer or talking about, uh, punk drummers they played in bands with. Right. So I had Mike Watt talking about George Hurley. I had Joey Shithead talking about, uh, biscuits. I had, um, I had an excerpt from, um, uh what's his name from the Dead Kennedy? So he's spacing on
0: his name right now. Oh, I'm not your guy for this, but I I know yeah. who you're talking uh, about. Oh, DH Pellegro, That's
1: really embarrassing, but yeah. There you go. I uh, had I had a book excerpt from him. Um I had uh somebody writing, I had John Worcester writing about the five punk songs that are most influential. For him. It was a really oh, cool Oh, yeah. Record. But in in doing a lot of press for that and doing a lot of blogging and writing about that the sort of pivotal moment for me was uh being 12 years old and going to see some friends really far away from home. I think it was like eight blocks from my parents' house. And I I got on my my strand cruiser because it was the uh, early 80s in um in Los Angeles in the South Bay, mm-hmm. and you know, feathered hair, hookah shell necklace with a lightning bolt on oh, yeah. it. I mean, I was I was doing it, man. I was wearing vans when before anybody outside of the South Bay knew what vans. That's were. right. Um and I went over to this kid's house and then he's like, let's go see my neighbors. And I was like, Wow, well, well, okay, whatever. And they were these like uh late teen, uh, Brit punk, you know, bondage pants, oh, suspenders, okay. Liberty spikes, mohawks, right. leather jackets with the paint, the whole bit. Yeah. Knew about revolting And
0: GBH and all kinds of shit you'd never heard of.
1: Yeah. So I did, I didn't know anything about any of that, but yeah. like, they invited us in, and I don't know why, because they're much older than us, and I think they, they were just trying to blow our minds. Sure. And they played in God We Trust Incorporated by the Dead Kennedys for me, and it just, it, like, filled me with so much honest energy, but also scared the shit out of me in such a profound way. Um, That's kind of the that, job
0: of a record like that is to scare the shit out of a middle school kid and go, don't be these fucking people.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and and it worked. Like it really stuck with me. That was really the the turning point for me, where I wanted to go out and start exploring music on my own. And in particular, it was D. H. Peligro's drumming um, okay. on the record that really caught my attention. And then, you know, uh, because I'd come up uh, with my older brothers playing a lot of this really well developed, capable, virtuosic so,
0: sort of almost means, like arena right? rock kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, Rush was in there. So Neil Peart. If sure. you said drummer, everybody immediately said Neil Peart. Oh like, yeah. You want to play drums like that? Um, punk rock showed me that. Like, oh, I didn't need to have to put in 16 years of paradiddles. I could just literally go get a drum set. <laughs> By the way, if that's not the name,
0: if that's not the name of your biography, Steve, <laughs> you're don't you're doing it wrong. I'm giving it to you right now. It's 16 years of paradiddles. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure mine would be zero years of paradiddles.
0: <laughs> What's really funny is you're talking about it's, it's so funny. Cause I don't even think of a Michigan drummer, but I think as somebody who feels like a Motown drummer to me, the first time you start talking about like where you kind of get this meat from. And like, I'm like, Oh, I didn't want to be Neil Pert. I never wanted to be a drummer, but like, if I wanted a drummer in my band, I wanted Clyde Stubblefield. Yeah. Right. I wanted the funky drummer and i realized that that's because that from the time i had a goddamn pacifier in my mouth i heard motown records and i realized he's not a motown yeah. drummer but it's the same it's the same heart and soul and i realized that yeah. everything that i do even though it is <laughs> white and acoustic and not that at all because of where i'm from it is inherently informed by that in some way the yeah, had this I mean, the melody, the the like, okay, here's the efficiency of it. Here's this one done. We do another one tomorrow. That kind of work yeah. ethic. Like that's what I got out of that. And I love that you can just go here. I I sucked out these three things that I got from where I grew up as a musician. And like you and I met each other 10 minutes ago and you jumped right into that. And I nicely done, sir.
1: Oh well, love thank it. you. Yeah. I, I mean, look, it. the guy, the guy in my probably growing up, the guys that got my attention were
0: Keith Moon and Charlie Watts. Um definitely well, they had to, right? Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, and and okay, as as a drummer, can can you just tell all the kids out there that Ringo's underrated? Can we just agree that Ringo is a ridiculously good drummer and the people who shit on him are just running along with a joke that doesn't make any sense?
1: Yes. And I will say that as a person who used to shit on him regularly. Okay. It took me a long time. I was uh I was an angry team.
0: <laughs> and, well, we all uh, were. Spe- if we're doing it right, we all were.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I was specifically angry at older Beatles fans because I just thought they fucking ruined the rock and roll party at every turn. Like, I'm here for my freedom of expression, and I'm going to make my mark, and I'm going to let my freak flag fly. And here comes some 48-year-old dude who's like, yeah, but you're never going to be the Beatles. And it's like, dude, like... Why does any Why does any seventeen year old need to hear that from anybody? So, for a long time, uh, my uh, it, it also misguided disdain for older Beatles fans uh, kind of ruined the Beatles for me. Um, okay. I didn't I didn't want to
0: like them, and and I, would I have a friend them. who who will who will tell you they're a great band, and they he are. acknowledges that they're fantastic, and he does not want to listen to them because they have been overplayed and shoved down his throat. And I understand completely. And what he'll say is like, if a song comes on, he'll go, yeah, that is undeniably great, yeah. but I don't ever need to put that on of my own volition. And I'm kind of in his camp now. Like it happens so much in the wild. I don't need to do it on my own because the, it's a Beatles world. And we are all just renting space in it. Yeah. Um, but I love the fact that even people who are like, yeah, I've, I've heard it too much. are all like, oh yeah, that's still like the like third greatest song ever written.
1: It's like still, still the Beatles. And the other two greatest Beatles. Songs are also by the Beatles. But the thing is, I grew up and, and I mean the fun the really funny thing is I ended up playing in band after band after band that was like in some way derivative of the Beatles. Like I liked pop rock,
0: right? And so well, like, and you I, and you dedicated a like a life to writing about guitar based pop music. Yeah. It is right. all in some way <laughs> all all roads lead back to Rome, which is the Beatles. Right. Yeah,
1: so I I got uh I got a really amazing gift, which was I got to actually embrace and enjoy the Beatles in my 40s. And so wow. I, I do love the Beatles now and I do listen to them of my own free will in a way that I never did before. And I get I get to say things in my 50s like, you know, I think I'm a John Lennon guy. And everybody oh. else is like, I figured it out when I was 10. You know, and I'm <laughs> like, Yeah, but I just figured it out.
0: Uh, I kind of love too that, like, uh, no matter what, ha- it's a little bit like, um, like everybody knows Beethoven and Mozart, right? Like, I kind of feel like 300 years from now, we're all going to know the Beatles and the Stones. Uh,
1: I hope that that's true, but I honestly think that it'll just be the Beatles in 300 years.
0: It probably will be. It'll probably be just Now, I I would make the case, and I'm going to be the contrarian here, that I would say that if you're going to include two, you should include a third, and that band should be the Kinks. And that if you're you're only going to include two, that maybe the Kinks should be there instead of the Rolling Stones? But that's strictly based on quality, not on cultural import, and I realize that's a very dicey statement, Steve. I understand that that's... But my point is that, like, uh, I think you're right in that it's going to all get kind of distilled down to one thing right
1: well I mean when but people was-
0: talk about the 60 now 60s now it's it's just the Beatles it largely is yeah and 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 how do you okay so let's let's unpack that backwards now for what what you've covered for the last however many years that you've been doing this where you've been covering basically bands that are waves of things that happened because of the Beatles yeah, so whether, I mean, whether that is whether yeah. that is the raspberries or the Badfinger or Big star or the Sloan. Yeah, Th- those are all bands that, that I love mm-hmm. dearly, but they're all in a way part of that series of kind of uh, tsunamis after the earthquake that is the Beatles. Yeah. Right? Um, What what do you think that kind of says about the Beatles 60 years later uh, 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 that that bands are still sort of riffing on that on that idea?
1: I, you know i don't know i mean obviously the, the they are all incredibly talented and all in, and and some of the most it, kind of unbelievable songwriters so like the the quality itself is enough but i think that Part of the romance with the Beatles is their cultural impact. And you can't, you kind of can't divorce the two things because like if they were just a great band and they were like, just great released great records that would, it would still be stunning. They would still be the Beatles. Right. But they also like, like set up and smashed cultural template after cultural template after cultural template. So I will go further and say as much as I love the stones and I love the stones, as much as i love the stones i think in 300 years it will just be the beatles but i think the the beatles it won't be about their music i think they'll be a religion
0: well uh, you certainly have all the itinerant things right you have yeah. you have the iconography you have here's here's the other thing that people forget a hard day's night as a film as a film student and a film lover and a film critic i can sit here and tell you that's just a really good fucking film yeah that's just really well done it's it's really good slapstick comedy it's really Mm -hmm. sharp it's really compact it's really funny but the fact that they were a vaudeville act as well as being a pop band that re-envisioned themselves six times and they made movies and they made videos and they had merchandise like in, in essence, the Beatles are like Mozart and Star Wars before Star Wars happened. Like it's all of that shit all at once, right? It's all well, of or, this phenomenon. Or basically,
1: every every major mainstream pop star now is a clothing brand and a scent. And right. you know, like they everybody right. is diversified in that way. So it's like they set that template as well, right? And then right. they yeah, I mean, turn their back on that.
0: <laughs> Taylor Swift for all the all the innovative things that she's doing is still very much following in the same in the same template, as you said, yeah. of the Beatles. Um, and yet now the people who are kind of trafficking in that world that you and I are following bands that we were talking about, like Teenage Fan Club and Sloan and the Posies and Matthew Sweet that have made music in the last 10 years, or the last 30 years. They're doing that very much on the underground. This isn't even, uh, this is one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about, Steve, was that I see bands like the Lemon Twigs, for example, as like the, exception to the rule now here's a young vibrant innovative guitar-based band doing stuff that's based on an old thing in a new way yeah that has become a more rare conceit yes
1: no oh, yeah for sure it's undeniable okay
0: okay what do you think is the cause for that and what do you is that a I, I guess i don't i want to ask you to summarize whether, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing but like where do you think that comes from and where do you think it goes from here
1: well, I mean, uh, look, w- we grew up when rock music, uh, all the all the various versions of rock music, right, was a dominant cultural force. Right, Correct. we just yeah, grew up absolutely. in a era where rock and roll dominated the conversation. It was everything. Yeah, it was everything, and and so that's not sustainable. <laughs> it's like, at Fair. a certain point, a generation or some sub-segment of several generations is going to come along and go, I don't, that, that's just like the thing that was given to me. That's the skateboard and the Black Flag record. Exactly. Yes. It's the thing I inherited. It's not my own. Yeah. I pivoted within rock and roll to another genre of rock and roll, but more and more people towards the end of the 90s and, and then definitely in the early 2000s started pivoting away from rock and roll altogether. And uh, as somebody who released a record on a major label in 2000, I can tell you it was a very trying time um, because (laughs) it was almost like this thing that was a guaranteed was going away. Right. And uh, it was really interesting to watch, but I have a, I have a totally different view on it now. I look at something like the Lemonheads, and I look at, you know, I went to see a teenage fan club. That must've been right before the pandemic. They played in L.A. Um, There are 400, 500 people there, you know, respectable, but like not not them playing at the biggest venues they played in L.A. back in the day. Sure. And they were great. Um, But I look at all that now and I go, oh, I'm so glad that it went back underground because there's no chance for it to reemerge. There's no chance for it to develop its own distinct culture uh, to add to the ongoing lineage of what rock and roll was and and all the transformations it went through. There's no chance for that to happen unless it goes into hiding a little bit, unless it stops being in the spotlight and unless it stops being foreordained that it gets to dominate uh, music and culture. And so. I look at things like the Lemon Twigs and then a band that they protégé like the Uni Boys. Uh, I look at the Whiffs. I look at the Speedways. I look at Radio Days out of
0: Italy. Um, Oh, my uh, God. You're giving me all kinds of stuff. Okay. First of all, I didn't know anything about the Whiffs until I read your stuff. Yeah, and you, nothing. And then all of a sudden, every time I turned around, you and Kevin Alexander and somebody else on Substack are talking about the fucking whiffs. And I'm like, what am I missing here? And then like my buddy, like texts me like this guy that I talked to like three times a year. He sends me record recommendations and he's like, hey, you heard this whiffs record? And I'm like, you son of a bitch. You're like three months late on this deal.
1: They are they are probably my favorite current band. Uh They, for me, they hit all, uh, all the right, uh, they pull all the right levers. Like, it's that Beatles, or they're a little more broad in their tastes, but it's that Beatles-y British Invasion songwriting and hook foundation, but they have a really heavy dose of punk uh, that's in there, like first wave punk, like Ramones, if you, especially if you- But listen I, I, what I'm
0: really excited about with bands like the Whiffs and the Lemon Twigs, and the first thing that I get really jacked about is I'm like, oh my God, kids are getting excited about vocal harmonies again. Thank Christ. Like, Yeah, that's part, definitely part of it. Like, uh, but for me, like so much of what I love, like whether it's country or pop or rock or even psych music- it is based in, in two people singing together, whether that's the Everly Brothers or the Hollies, yeah. right? doesn't matter. And I feel like in punk and in a lot, especially a lot of the like latter day punk stuff, like it's a lot of like gang vocals and solo singing. And there's not a lot of that. Like, like look, I don't, no punk band's going to be the jam. <laughs> like that's a one in a, that's a once in a lifetime thing. But I could use more melodicism like that in in sort of those nascent kind of hardcore bands and punk bands that come up. And so to see bands like the Lemon Twigs that are going full bore into like psych and and almost twee at times. Yeah. You know, and like going, okay, how can we do Sid Barrett making a Bell and Sebastian record? Yeah. like I just fucking love it. It's great.
1: I know, but that's just it, right? They're taking in... They're not making the mistake that a lot of people who get too deep in a genre make, which is they they, they stop their influences a generation or two before their own. They're taking in everything that came after the quote unquote 90s right. golden era of, you know, teenage fan club Matthew Sweet and and uh, Fountains of Wayne and the Posies and all those fans. Yeah. They're, they're fully open to everything that came out in the 2000s as well. And that's the way it should be. It's why yeah. talking about music with, with older fans can be frustrating sometimes because they they want everything to be the way it was, you know? And, and it's like, no, it shouldn't. The reason you liked this when you were young and the reason that I, I liked it when we were both young was because it was breaking boundaries, because it was flying in the face of convention, Because it was sticking a middle finger up to whatever their older brothers or their parents did. That's what you're supposed to do. That's rock and roll.
0: And and the beauty part is when you can do that, and I'm going to keep going back to this band because I just love them so much and we keep talking about them and they're just a great example. But you take Teenage Fan Club and you take a band that takes sort of 70s glam stadium rock and the essence of power pop and then somehow turns it into something new mm-hmm. makes it makes it into their own language they don't rehash either one of those things they take the two of them and they they sort of smash them together and then go okay we're going to take this through our own little lens and here's what comes out that's what should happen it should almost be accidental where you take this pastiche of things that you just love and adore and want to emulate And it ought to just come out. The other end is something new. When we do it right, the organic process is I love REM and Morrissey and New Order. And this thing comes out. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's what I feel from the Lemon Twigs. And I feel like that's been missing from new records I've been hearing.
1: Yeah. Have you heard uh, the band they produce called Tchotchke? No. All girl band. You should check it
0: out. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Oh, I absolutely will. Um. Hey, so what's really funny is you brought up this idea of sort of being reductive and kind of going back down the 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 regenerative rabbit hole with your influences, you know, 20 years ago and just continually cycling down that whirlpool, if you will. And one of the one of the questions that I had from you was I just wrote the words power pop. Is it revisionist?
1: yeah. <laughs> There's a reason that I started using the the phrase guitar pop.
0: um, I I actually prefer it. it. Yeah. So thank you. But please (laughs) tell me why you did that and where that came from.
1: Well, so I, I, look, I, so I grew up on, on heavy metal, as I explained, or kind of came into music through heavy metal. Yeah. Cut my teeth on punk. But as you know, I, I only did my like true hardcore phase for about six months. And then I was like, no, I kind of like, I kind of like hooks and I kind of like slower yeah, songs and I kind of like too. vocals that have harmonies. And but I didn't know how to articulate any of that. I was just going like, there's a, there's a time and a place to listen to Husker du's metal circus, but I was also thrilled when they made pop records later on or poppier records right. later on. Um, so I kind of immediately started going backwards and discovering all this stuff I had missed and and getting into seventies music. And then I, um, I got really into, uh, I got into a high school band, my first serious band. Yeah. And it was me with a bunch of dudes I did not grow up with from my high school. Okay. Um, And they, and uh, that was just this moment where they turned me on to all this amazing music. Right. So like, it was like going, getting a master's degree and everything was cool up to that point. It's the first time I heard Big Star. Right. Like okay, it, it right. wasn't like a popular thing at that point. Right. Uh, they're yeah. playing the BUs for me. They're playing pink fairies for me. You know, they're playing like really interesting stuff. Right. And um, but through it all and through all the years, I was inherently drawn to power pop. I didn't call it that. I just liked hooky rock and roll about heartbreak. <laughs> you know, like that was all my life. Those were always the songs like as much as I love Suburban Home by The Descendants, I'm going to listen to Silly Girl more often. That's just the way that I am. I like a pop song. And um, and so then I started playing in bands in earnest in the 90s, and the bands would get called Power Pop, and we did not self-define as Power Pop. Um, so this has just been this running theme in my life. And then Rare Bird asked me to partner up with Paul Myers to curate a book for them called go all the way, which was an essay collection about power pop. Yeah. And so that for that was in 2018 and that forced me to stop down and really reckon with the genre and sort of my relationship with Mm -hmm. it. Cause like I said, I'd been in all these bands that had been called power pop and and I had been uh, a fan of music incidentally that was power pop and I really wasn't necessarily aware of it. So again, It was more of a late in life thing than I like I was the power pop guy and out of the gate.
0: Right. Right. And I and I play in a band that I've played in for longer than I've ever played in any musical entity in my entire life. And we. You've been doing this for a long time, Steve, people want to know, what does your band sound like? And so I will say power pop, because I think it's an easy answer that people understand. (laughs) It's guitar based rock and roll with three dudes, lots of harmonies, lots of hooks. Songs are over in two minutes, 50 as Pete Townsend would say. And uh, a lot of people will go, well, what is that? And then yeah. I just go, I, part of me is like, well, have you heard of the cars and cheap tricks? Like, that's my, that's my go-to answer. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, it's like that. And it's not like that, but that's enough. to get them close. And then there's the other group of people who, when you tell them it's power pop, get ready for a 45 minute conversation. <laughs>
1: yeah the, the like and that's that that really turns that latter group honestly really turns me off like Agreed. It, it reminds me too much of those Beatles fans I didn't like uh-huh. when I was 17 yeah. where it's like well it's re- anybody who wants arcane knowledge exactly anybody who wants <laughs>
0: yeah. to know too much about a thing to prove their value on the planet it's just <laughs> like it's like dude we're all we're all struggling to feel like we have our worth right like we're all standing up and sucking air um just let's just stand here and enjoy stuff <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, you know, as much as I, I for a little while, I really I like Facebook groups or whatever, um, online forums. Right. I learned a lot. I discovered a lot of music uh, that, you know, I just missed. You're not going to you're not going to oh, hear well, it all.
0: No. And, and 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 so much of it is like these sort of like Hallmark singles that came out. And it's one song by one band that nobody's yeah. ever heard of, you know, and yeah. everybody's like, oh, you don't you don't know 77 Sunset Strip. Like, you don't mm-hmm. know that song. What, what's yeah. wrong with you? right you, know? you don't know the real kids like and it's like come on dude it's like an obscure song from 1979 that no one else knows right
1: yeah, but I mean that's that that's sort of like why they're in those forums. And that's the piece I had to make was like this is their party. I'm the I'm the gate crasher, right? Like they that's this true. is what they enjoy. They like sitting around debating this stuff. And I'm like, right. cool, have fun. And sometimes that's fun for me. And like I said, I've learned a lot and I've actually made a lot of really good friends in some of those forums.
0: Oh, for sure. And I don't want to sound like I am I am dumping on this at all. I just um I'm a little bit like you in that, like it's like I don't know that that's where I want to spend my time.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometime, like it's it's fun to go to that dive bar sometimes, but like I don't want to be the guy who goes to that dive bar every day. I'm not there. You I'm go there. You go the dive bar, but that's the analogy. Like, um, <clears throat> which is why I I didn't launch my Substack until January of last year, so it's only been around for ex- almost exactly one year. I was um, on. So you and-
0: jumped on a month before I did.
1: Right, I was on Medium before that and that served its purpose, but Medium is like writers writing about writing on Medium, like uh-huh. it's the weirdest Malkovich very- Malkovich Malkovich kind of vibe.
0: Um it is very up your own asshole for sure.
1: <laughs> I would call it navel gazing, but you've got a potty mouth
0: and I'm going to I'm going yeah, uh, to Well, uh my wife is a, my wife is a sailor and uh, she's not. Uh she just talks like <laughs> one. Uh <laughs> But so I I made the the
1: jump to Substack. And that was the moment where I was like, you know, I'm going to call this guitar pop because, you know, like out of the gate, my ambition was, yes, I want to have this thing called Remember the Lightning. And it's going to be a newsletter and it's going to revolve around things I love, which are music books and music books, because I read a lot of music books.
0: Um, Which is actually one of my favorite parts about your Substack is that I my daughter works at a library. Mm-hmm. And you, sir, provide me with things for her to go find at work. I like it, so it's helpful, and I appreciate it.
1: That uh, is probably, honestly, like no joking, one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten about my newsletter. That is,
0: uh, I love it. Uh, and and I, was looking, it, I was looking at your top five books when, uh, when I was uh, perusing the old stack the other day, and I was like, oh. So are the other four music books on this list as depressing as Trouble Boys? Because I hope not because dude I love that book and I love that band Steve it took me six months to make it through that book and that's not because I'm a slow reader it's because I had to take some breaks
1: yeah I I I don't know did you it's weird right because like part of the romance of the replacements and this is very much tied to its era because it's Mm pre-internet was you lived on snippets of rumors about that right. band right? right the 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 mythology around that band was word of mouth it was grassroots um partially fostered by them they just like screwing with people and so mm-hmm. you don't know exactly what's true you know did you know did did they really cuss on on corporate radio and try to scuttle mm-hmm. themselves did they really drink themselves into a blackout the night that the major labels were coming did were they really lighting their per diems on fire and all the stuff they did, they really trash that camper and whatever.
0: Like you would hear about that stuff. Well, yeah. And, what happened at SNL and all that shit. Yeah. All you, that, you, all that stuff. you
1: encountered that stuff. You would hear about that stuff. And part of their, the fandom for me anyway, was finding other people who were interested in knowing that stuff about this band. And you loved their music too. So What I loved about Bob Mayer's book, and Bob's like, Bob Mayer's become a friend. Uh, I've interviewed him a few times and written some pieces about him for Big Takeover magazine, which I also write for. Oh, nice. Um, uh, So I've talked to him kind of at length about this book. And I told him, like, you know, the thing that I love about it is it just, it settled everything. It's like all the rumors that I've been living with for 30 or 35 years, he just, yes, that was true. No, that wasn't true. Oh, there's a different thing that you probably hadn't heard so it was good to, to just see it all laid out uh in mm-hmm. retrospect for me i devoured that book like i i got done and read it again like i was like yes because in a way it was validating because they were exactly the fuck-ups you thought they were mm-hmm. i mean it's just uh, it, uh I don't know what it says about the kind of fans that they attracted, but man, those guys were out to wreak havoc from the moment they stepped on the
0: stage. I think, um, I think the thing that I can appreciate most about that band is being in a band that will never get to that level, but can understand that level. If that makes sense. I can't understand being REM or Beyonce or Taylor Swift. I can't or the Beatles I can't I can't comprehend that I can comprehend playing to 600 people at First Avenue as the replacements mm-hmm. I can comprehend going and playing St Andrews or the whiskey or uh Stubbs on a Thursday night in 1985 uh I can imagine and have been in the band that drank too much on Saturday night after Friday night was fucking aces Mm -hmm. I've I've done that I've been in that band Mm -hmm. and so for me reading that book was like getting like a little bit closer to the brass ring and doing the same fuck up bullshit and so that's why I kept having to take a break because I kept going oh that whole idea about you know janitor jailer dead right like I went that's not me but I kind of painted myself in that corner yeah yeah And I totally like it really it really resonated with me. It resonated with me in a way that the records on on an emotional level that the records didn't like they always hit hard stuff. But this hit like an adult part of me that had never hit before.
1: All right. So me, too. We just processed it differently. And and I took a weird thrill from it. Right. Like I gave up alcohol and drugs 17 years ago. It's all I got left, man.
0: All I got left is adrenaline. (laughs) Good for you, Steve. Congrats, man.
1: Well, we wouldn't dad, be talking about my dad by
0: had <laughs> Uh well then double good for you, my friend. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. My dad um my dad fell asleep on the way home from bowling league one night and nearly killed himself, ran into a tractor in a field. Oof, never took another drink. That's one never, way
1: to go. Never that's, never took another that's drink. Pretty extreme. 30, that's a pretty uh, extreme uh, bottom as they say.
0: Uh <laughs> lived another lived another 40 years on this planet and never had another drink. And it's wow. one of the most amazing things I've ever seen another person do. So congratulations to you because I know what a, what a challenge that is.
1: Thanks. Uh, so uh, man, joking aside, which I, I was trying to make a joke, but it, I do appreciate that you recognize of course, that. yeah, you, you also had it modeled for you, which is a different thing, but right. Um, I, uh, I loved that book and I had some of the same feelings you did. Cause I certainly had blacked out on stage many a time. I, I was a mm-hmm. drummer that embraced some cliches. Um, but uh i wrote an article based on having that like what's this say about me that i love these guys right like did i accidentally support that did w- was i egging them
0: on like is that a, a, am i am i enabling this behavior yeah
1: and then that's in the, and, and that is a uh, a very adult evolved grown up reaction to a thing that wasn't meant for grown ups and adults right, right. um but uh, so I wrote an article for Big Takeover magazine called Absolutions Out of the Question. Uh, and it was based on a Facebook exchange I had where I posted a link to um, a Village Voice article with the replacements from like, I don't know, like it's like peak crazy replacements, like 87 or something. Okay. 86. And they're just talking about like how they do it on purpose. They think it's funny. Right. They're just like they're reckless, they're crazy, they're over the top. Um, I posted it, and a friend of mine who's our age posted this big response very thoughtful guy. We love the same kind of music, super talented dude, love his opinions, not confrontational. But he posted like a fat paragraph response yeah. to this post and basically said, The basically, what he said is, the older I get. The, the less patience I have for the, the the replacement shitting all over their fans. That was what he said basically in a nutshell. Yeah. So then I started reading reviews of the book and looking around online for like, are other people feeling what you and I are admitting to each other that we've felt from this book? And there was a lot of it. I found a lot yeah. of people having this response. A lot of the kind of people who would read a whole book about the replacements. Right. Caring enough about the banning. Which is a, a very specific of
0: kind of person, Right. <laughs>
1: Right. Which, you know, look, in a way they kind of like, I won't say they taught me to be completely reckless and rock and roll. God, they gave me a lot of permission, you oh know, boy. Um, uh, they- and and so I wrote this article and I interviewed Bob Mayer for it. And I said, when I originally went to him, I said, I want to write this article called The Mayer Effect. And he was like, I don't know about the title, but I like I like the premise. Um Okay. And I said, you know, uh, a, a lot of people are feeling disillusioned uh about what you shared in the book. And he was like, Look, man, the replacements knew what they were doing. They're smarter than you and me. Don't ever think that they were a bunch of apes that like were running amok and got lucky. It was all like in the cards for them. It was part of the DNA of who they were. And you shouldn't feel bad about it. They were going to make those decisions with or without your fandom. Um, what you're wrestling with is being 50 and still liking them or being 50 and trying to tell your kids not to drive drunk. <laughs> Meanwhile, putting on a replacements album, right? Like there, right. there's a certain dissonance, but again, for me, I, and anyway, I, 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 I encourage you to read that article. I'll send you the link. Not oh, because I do it, but just because Bob no, it says great. interesting I, stuff.
0: And I, um, and I, and and Steve, I love this idea of because I've never really really parsed this out before, but I love this idea of taking a thing that's not made to be adult, and then yeah. trying to reckon with it as an adult.
1: And they're a very particular extreme example of like we were rooting for them, right? Like Westerberg oh. was supposed to be a, the voice of a generation. We, we we it was the band that we like wanted okay. to sell out.
0: I don't I don't I don't want to over dramatize this but i would say that if you had asked me in 1987 or 1988 i would have said the replacements yeah they're fuck-ups but there are fuck-ups yes they're ours they belong to us Mm -hmm. there are there are salty sodden heroes yep you know and in many respects there are bands that i love that have left me with a bigger imprint than that band did and that band did leave me with an imprint but i don't know that other bands struck that particular chord the way they did right like as much as i love rem or the cure or depeche mode like those are real professional outfits those are those are Fully uh, produced showman like operations, if you will, right? Yeah. Even even REM at their earliest were a machine, and the replacements were never a machine. And as much as I love REM and they're my favorite fucking band ever, Steve, there is something about the replacements that is more tangible and more reachable and more real than any of that stuff. And I think well, it's they just took that punk.
1: punk- they took the punk ethos into the mainstream right like early punk <clears throat> get outside of like the 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 sex pistols which became this like right. packaged thing sure early punk was you can do it i can do it we all can do it right it was a diy thing jump jump up on stage right the replacements came from that and embraced it and embodied that but whereas most bands as they progress in their career kind of like evolve out of that right that was their origin story right the replacements wouldn't let themselves let go of that and so they took this thing that was only meant for 200 people in a small club all ages show
0: right a uh, thing that uh, to use a parlance of our times a thing that doesn't really scale up yes and then they were asked hey scale this up
1: right Meanwhile Westerberg is progressing as a monster songwriter. Oh, so sure. there's it creates all this strange dissonance yeah. where they want to be this reckless band. Not want to be, they were this reckless group of dudes. Yeah. They were the like, if you if you like the analogy of uh, uh, a tour bus or a tour van being like pirates on the open sea, they were that.
0: Oh, but the place the replacements are your band for sure.
1: Then but 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 at the same time, Paul Westerberg is writing the most heart-wrenching love songs and introspective. Uh, lyrics of anybody in that generation, okay. and so I, about and, every level.
0: I'll go ahead and say here's the dichotomy that that I think you're driving at that makes me love this band, and I think I've I think I've I've distilled it down to this: Keith Moon can drive a car into a pool at the Holiday Inn in Flint, Michigan, on his birthday, and they can throw TVs out the window, and they can do all of that shit. But none of them wrote, here comes a regular. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's the, I'm going to behave this way. And then in the morning, I'm going to clean it up and I'm going to tell you about it. That's what kills me. It's that he sees that this is what's happening. So let's talk about your books, man.
1: Because
0: cuz uh I feel like if we're going to do this we should talk about some of your writing and we should we should maybe get people to buy some of your books. That'd be good. <laughs> that would be, That'd be good. That would be a nice change of pace. <laughs> um how did these how did these come about? I mean you got a lot of there's some heavy hitters in here dude. With,
1: yeah, uh so, I mean, look, writing and music were always my two great passions um right. but I did make a decision pretty young i mean i went to, i went to i got my degree in journalism I worked at a newspaper in my hometown <laughs> i I was very firmly on that path and i was this was in my early twenties and I was an an art editor at a weekly newspaper and uh playing in bands kind of on the side for beer yeah. at local clubs in my hometown and uh i got Asked to join a band up in Hollywood, which was like a bit of a haul and they were trying to get a record deal. And that really wasn't where my head was at, Mm -hmm. but I went and did the tryout and it was a good fit. And, uh, that, that band ended up getting signed. Um, and so I quit my journalism job and then for the next 10 or 12 years over the course of two bands uh, and a couple of different record labels, that's what I did. I was a full-time rock drummer. Um, And so I got away from writing and, you know, I would write here and there to make a little cash on the side. This is back in the day when you go on Craigslist and like pick up 50 bucks for writing a restaurant review or writing somebody's press release. I would just do stupid stuff like that. And but the thing that I had put on hold was I wanted to write novels. Uh, That was the thing I wanted to do. And so in 2015, I actually the first thing I published was the first book in a trilogy trilogy. Uh, about a punk rock singer who becomes a P.I. And it's it, his name is Greg Salem. And that first book is called Bad Citizen Corporation, which is the name of his band. And it's basically set in Hermosa Beach, right? So um, I wrote three books about Greg Salem, this punk rock P.I. And I wrote a couple oh, wow. of novellas and I wrote a short, bunch of short stories. I was mostly working in hard-boiled crime fiction. That's what I did for about three or four years. Okay, And uh, then I... I uh, My publisher asked me, the publisher who published all those books, asked me to work with Paul Myers, very thankfully, because Paul's an amazing guy, um, partnered with Paul Myers on Go All The Way, the first Power Pop essay collection. And he was like, look, you've been in music your whole life. Nonfiction sells much easier than fiction does, especially the really hard-boiled, niche Mm -hmm. stuff that I'm writing. Right. I was writing at the time. So – He was right. Book did really well. Put me in touch with a bunch of people. Working with Paul was a real pleasure, and he's become a friend. Um, and so then I kind of got the bug for writing nonfiction. I did write and self-publish two more um crime fiction novellas that are about a power pop band. (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, Set in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, the first one's called That'll Be the Day. Basically, there are these. Guys who were in their 40s, they were in this one-time almost famous power pop band, kind of loosely based on 2020. Um, Okay. And then one's in prison and one owns a record shop. Brother gets out of prison and they uh, basically reform the band and go around stealing Beatles artifacts from collectors. That's what they do. (laughs) So they are these heist guys. They're called the power pop heist books. Um, That'll be the day and Good Girls Don't are the two books.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Then we did. Uh, then we did a second book. Because Go All the Way sold well enough that we did a second collection called Go Further, and we got another twenty five or twenty six people. Amazing, talented writers, um, music experts, just amazing music fans, and we published that. Um, and then I did the Forbidden Beat Punk Rock essay collection. Uh, and that one was just me, and I I, I just was blown away by the response I got to that. Like every, just about everybody I asked contributed to that book. And there's some big names on it. was, it was really incredible. Um, and then, uh, I launched, uh, the newsletter and the other part of the newsletter. And this has been in the DNA since I launched the thing was, it was always meant to be a free newsletter and a semi-annual journal, a book. And so, I have the free newsletter and instead of letting people um, pay me for a subscription, I ask them to buy the books instead. And so twice a year I produce uh, a thing called remember the lightning, a guitar pop journal. Um, And I basically take what I learned from the previous essay collections. I get 10 or 12 people to contribute. They write about their favorite bands. The focus is mostly on the two thousands because I feel Mm -hmm. like there's enough writing about the older stuff. Sure. But like, you know, the Whiffs was on the cover of the first one. The Uni Boys was on the cover of the second one. I'm putting the uh, third one together right
0: uh, now. I have a note here that one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the Annie Zaleski essay on the Beths.
1: Just, yeah, Annie Zaleski is incredible. Such a good just
0: writer. A, just a superb essay, and B, what a tremendously good band.
1: Yeah, the the Beths are, like, shockingly good. Like, um, I just went and saw them in L.A. towards the end of their,
0: like, I just saw them. I saw them over the summer tour. here in Michigan, and it was incredible. It was great.
1: So we got lucky in LA because they were on that. Um, they were on the that Ben Gibbard tour, uh, Death Cab for Cutie, and uh, Postal Service. The yeah, they they were on that tour for a long time. They they were that tour stop in LA came to the Hollywood Bowl. Okay. But I think it was towards the end of the Beth's touring Expert in a Dying Field, which, you know, they're from New Zealand. So I think they stayed on the road for like two years or something. They've been Isn't on the road crazy? forever. So this is the end of that, towards mm-hmm. the very end of that. So uh, the, the Death Cab and uh, Postal Service guys were cool enough to let them book a string of local club shows while they were in town for the Hollywood Bowl show. Oh,
0: that's so, cool.
1: three nights leading up, I think, and then two nights after. Oh, the Hollywood wow. They played The Lodge Room, which is like 400 people. And so I got okay. to see them in this crazy, tiny space. And I was already a fan, but I was just blown away. They are such a good band. Yeah. It's a little scary. And they're not like, it's not like one of those bands that you go see and you're like, okay, you sound like your record. Congratulations. You're technically proficient. You didn't make me feel anything. I They, they were so oh, good, no. but also made me feel a lot.
0: You they, know, And they're so fun. Like I, I had forgotten how much fun rock and roll could be. Like everybody did. Everybody's forgotten that. Like I, like I got used to going to see dudes like you and me where we're all like, yep, this is what we do. And like, I went to go see a bunch of people who are like turning 30 and they're all fucking stoked. They're so jacked to be doing it. Like, uh, I saw them at, in a beer garden at, at, uh, at this place called Bell's. You probably heard of Bell's brewery. They make two hearted ale. That's, uh, uh, that's the place directly behind the stage outdoors, there is a train track twice during the show. A train went by and the second time they happened to be playing. And when the train honked, it was in the same key. And so they just vamped with the train. Like, I don't know what key I don't know if they were like in B flat or whatever, but like the train honked, they all realized it looked at each other and went, let's just ride this. It you was, know,
1: one it, of the, one of the most adorable right. things they did when we went to see them was, uh, they didn't have roadies. They came out and set their own gear up and tuned their own stuff, wearing hoodies pulled really yeah. tight around their yep. faces.
0: Yep. And
1: it's like everybody's in on the joke, but yeah. they're like, "No, oh, nothing to see here. I'm nothing to see here. Don't worry about it." Show. And then yeah. they come back out, and that's like you know, that's like super DIY, charming. Um, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, I've spent a lot of time focusing on on her voice and her songwriting. Uh, her Which is songwriting tremendous. is
0: Justin? First of all, as somebody who has always paid particular attention to lyrics, she's she's got it, man. She's yeah. really, really good. Listen to – you mentioned Expert in a Dying Field. J- just go look at the words to that song. Just listen yeah. to it and read the words and go, this came out of the mouth of a young person who clearly – has had their heart broken in a way that the rest of us have all felt.
1: The when you know you knows the one for me off that record like I can listen to that song over and over. Uh
0: the other one that kills me is knees deep.
1: Yeah. Um but the thing the thing that like so I have spent so much time focused on how great Liz is mm-hmm. that I got to be pleasantly surprised by the band. Yeah. Um and like she's such a monster talent that these guys are kind of unassuming to a degree mm-hmm. on stage. Yeah. All just Phenomenal players. Oh God! They're not overdoing it. Not they're they're still playing rock and roll. It's swinging. It's a good time. But the guitar player
0: oh, is so a shredder.
1: Good.
0: He's so good, and and he's a great backing vocalist.
1: Yeah, really good,
0: really good. And I, that I mean, rhythm, and that rhythm section is like bouncy and tight and in the pocket and just really, really good stuff.
1: No, I mean, I I said to my friend who um I went with, I was like. They're a good band to start with. There's, they're undeniable when you listen to their records. But we're watching a band that's just been on the road for two years. Like it was like they could do this in their sleep, but they were still showing up. They were still present. They seem to still be enjoying themselves.
0: That's the thing. Like I, you know, uh, like I said, it's fun. Yeah, they made it fun. Um, Where do you? I got got
1: to interview Liz for my newsletter
0: uh is she as uh sharp and charming as she seems we did it by email but yeah she's okay. uh, her
1: responses were all really thoughtful and funny and and That's insightful awesome. we were talking about the deluxe issue reissue of uh if you um expert in the dying field yeah. with all the additional demo stuff so i was asking a lot of, about her relationship with her demos
0: yeah and, and her responses were great totally charming i'll have to go back and read that again steve um Before I let you go, uh, talk to me about what's going on with with the band, with Brother Steve. So this is you and how many of the guys from Czar?
1: Um, There are three of us were in Czar, um, but there's a a much longer, more twisted history that predates Czar. Um, uh, The original lineup of the Brother Steve's was uh, a college band. Um, And so when I met Jeff and Jeff, Jeff Whalen, the lead singer and guitarist of Czar, and Jeff Solomon, the bass player from Czar yeah. that we were later in the band Czar. And, uh, we met in college and my band, the wonderfuls used to play shows with their band, the brother, Steve. Um, Got it. and then I sometimes would sit in on drums cause their drummer couldn't make it to shows or whatever. Sure. So I played with them a few times back then. And then fast forward all these years later and they were like, Hey, we think we want to like get back together and make a band. I was like, I'm in. And so it ended up being the three of us from Czar, but you could also say it was the three of us from the Brother Steve were ZAR. That's
0: awesome. I have to <laughs> I have to confess that uh long before I reached out to you to talk to you about this interview, uh, I love that record. The Brother
1: Steam?
0: No, the, the Czar record.
1: Oh, thank you so I, much. Awesome. I
0: um that that record holds a special place in uh, in the van in my in my band. That we have listened to that on more than one occasion and it is uh it is something that we that we have all remarked how much we enjoy. Oh,
1: so I man. wanted to I that's wanted to make really sure nice that you
0: guys say. that you guys knew that. Yeah. Um when I when I told a couple of my bandmates that we were gonna talk, they were like, Oh man, you gotta let them know how much we like that record. Ah, oh, wow, that's really so, nice, man. So I,
1: you know, look, I gotta let you, you know just... how much we like that record if you could just tell 10 or, 10 or 20 million people
0: 20 years, old, uh, i'll tell awesome. the i'll tell you what i'll tell the the 120 some people who will download this shit
1: <laughs> yeah no, that was a that was a that band was like the culmination of everything that i had been trying to achieve and barreling towards at that point and and honestly like i'm not a songwriter um So I think I can say this, even though i played in several bands with him, Jeff Whalen is one of my favorite songwriters. So getting to be the drummer for one of your favorite songwriters is always a pretty cool thing. Um, But that that era was just fun. Like we were just like the right four dudes to play Jeff's music at that time. And L.A., the music scene in L.A. was fantastic. And we were based out of this really great club called Spaceland. And there was always a crowd and all the bands came out to support each other. I mean, I think I was there at that club six nights a week for three years. right? Um, And, uh, and we know getting to make that first record with Rob Cavallo. I mean, we got to like recorded all the big studios. It was just, it was like, it was the the dream. We didn't get to grab the brass ring, but like reaching up for it, my my finger, just like, just caught a little, little tip of it. And (laughs) I got to experience the life for a, a second.
0: And I never got that close and that's okay. I really have made my peace with that. But I do think there's something to be said for taking a minute and realizing how close you got and like how much further you got than most people will ever get. Oh, yeah. You know, no, I, yeah. I I sometimes I sometimes I feel like the things that are grinding me down or that I feel like I'm pissy about are the things that other people would love to take for granted. Right
1: hundred percent. i i, I um, I'm actually somebody who's incredibly vocally thankful about all that. And I'm also somebody who uh, i'm a, I'm a drummer, right? Like I'm and I have a drummer's personality. i uh, I'm not a songwriter. so my my dreams weren't as grandiose as as those sure. that'm a songwriter. So a lot of my dreaming was about it, uh, having the the kinds of experiences I promised myself. And so, Getting to make that record and have that experience, getting to go on the tours that we went on, getting to travel around the world for a few months and do that kind of stuff. The experiences are golden to me. And the time that I spent with those dudes uh, and the music we made for ourselves, <laughs> uh, because we we were pretty certain nobody else was going to care about it. Um, I'm thankful for all that stuff. And, and I, the experiences mean more to me than anything else. And so, yeah, I'm every day. I'm like, I can't believe I got to do that, even though it was a, for a very short time.
0: It's uh, it's really remarkable. What, um, what we get a chance to do if we really sit and think about it. I mean, like I, I, I sit around and I think about the fact that like, I've been playing music for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I've been asking people to pay attention to me and my stupid songs for three decades and people keep.
1: Oh, no worries. <laughs> my phone's ringing through my computer. Oh, no worries. Uh,
0: living in the future. is So weird. It's so strange, <laughs> you know, but I've been asking people to do this shit for 30 years and they keep showing up. So I it's keep amazing. playing shows.
1: <laughs> yeah, that it is. It is. Uh, it is. Any kind of artistic pursuit or any kind of creative pursuit, if people are allergic to the word art, which some people are, um, uh, you do have to remember that you are asking a lot from people Mm -hmm. to read your book or see your movie or get up off their couch, get dressed, drive to a club, pay to get in, you know. And stand
0: there for three hours and watch your band play.
1: Yeah. Like it's, it's, you are asking a lot and like, there's a reason why it's, uh it's a miracle when somebody succeeds in the arts, like, you know, succeeds mm-hmm. commercially right. uh, because there are 10 million other people who are doing something incredibly similar mm-hmm. who just weren't in the right place at the right time or didn't have the right haircut or whatever. Right. You know? <clears throat> uh
0: I think one of the things I find so interesting about that whole fickle nature of it, and I'm going to, I'm going to, Parry back to something you said earlier and you said, we made it for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend, a a bandmate tell me once very early on, look, it's all self-indulgent. And if you can understand that and keep it in that perspective and that frame, it's a lot easier to measure. I find to measure failure and success Sure, because I can measure it from the standpoint of whether or not I like it. I don't have to measure it from the standpoint of what are other people going to reflect back to me. But that requires, I mean, that requires a lot of confidence.
1: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> when you're in it and doing it and it is your life. Right. Um, whatever that is, writing, music, dance, whatever, sure. you know, extreme sports, whatever you do that it, 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 uh, It's not so important anymore in those moments or it wasn't – it didn't seem so important in those moments to discuss success and failure. You were just blown away every day when you woke up that you were getting to do this. Right. Right? Like I
0: get to do this. In a way that doing it is the success. That is,
1: right? Like and it's like – I mean it's a little bit
0: like I don't mean to be hokey but like it's a little bit like it's not the destination. It's the journey.
1: Yeah. Um, And to my shame, I got I got a a little caught up in the major label uh, promises and started getting ideas about what was going to happen. And so I had a level of disappointment back then uh, about what didn't some of the things that didn't happen, even though so many fantastic things did happen. But you know that was also I was uh, a lot of my sobriety issues were starting to come to a head, and okay. you know there was a lot going on at that time. In so this my life. was
0: all kind of coalescing at the same moment. Then yes, gotcha. yes,
1: my role, my my rollins uh facilitated my uh, a lot of my self destruction.
0: Uh, I don't know that that's a unique tale, Steve. I think that that's that? uh, one. I I think that's a fairly a fairly common circumstance where one thing leads another. You know where. You get into this creative endeavor and you also have this negative habit and the two fuel each other. I mean, I can see I'm not an alcoholic, but as the son of an alcoholic, I can look at that and I can go, Oh, I certainly have had times where I self medicated with my bandmates because we all expected that we were supposed to self medicate. Sure. Because that that's what you do. Yep. And 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 we are a band where not to a replacements level, but that is a bit worn into our reputation right
1: yeah no it's it's funny that like tying it all together as you were saying that i was thinking like uh we the four of us were in the band czar but on some level i was in the replacements (laughs) that's kind of what was going on
0: (laughs) gotcha gotcha so did you did you decide to get sober like right around the same time that czar stopped being a thing
1: uh we made the second record uh got dropped um, after it was completed. So I played on the whole second record, which is called band girls money. Um, then we got dropped and we had a new manager and it was just a lot of change going on. And, uh, I just, my heart wasn't in it anymore to like go shop right. a new record deal and start that whole thing again. Sure. Um, and you know, I was getting married and we wanted to have kids mm-hmm. and whatever. Boring story. Uh, but, uh, uh, we i got married i left the band i got married uh or i got married and i left the band and then we got we had a kid and then that but that was really i was i tried to get sober for a few years and then was having the kid that finally did it
0: uh there's a lot of good reasons to to do it that's probably the best one yeah
1: i have a great relationship with my my kids because of it so i How I'm old are your kids how old are your there. kids now i got one in college and one going into high school okay
0: uh, mine are twenty three and twenty five, and I will tell you that it is the coolest thing I will ever be a part of. Yes, the hardest thing I will ever do, and um, the thing I am most grateful for.
1: All of those things, hell yeah! It, yeah. It, uh, have I, my my kids home from college right now, and uh, just having that energy in the house again, and mm-hmm. the way that. My family all being together can make my heart swell like nothing else ever has. Oh. In my life. Yeah.
0: I, uh, all four of us were here on Christmas Eve, and I just had a moment where I was like, this is all I need for gift. I don't need anything else. Don't wrap anything up. Don't put anything in a stocking. Don't put it under the tree. Just give me this and just pump it straight into my veins.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's funny. You know, it's, it's, I lost some, good friends along the way, uh, in the rock and roll days. Um, and it provides this sort of, uh, I guess a little bit morbid, but like kind of mile marker where it's like, God, I, uh, there's so many things I want to turn to that person and say, or so many experiences I wish that I had been able to share with that person, but it also forces me, um, to think about how much I've changed, uh, in the course of whatever time it has been since I lost this really important person in my life. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, we're going for hokey here. It's like, uh, there's part of me that never thought I was going to be in my fifties. So, uh, right. every day is
0: pretty amazing. What's the, uh, what's the Mickey Mantle quote? If I'd known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did not take very good care of myself yeah. uh, in, in sobriety. I've taken better care of myself.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I love the idea that, um, that you can find this. You seem to have found this peace. Like your kids have gotten older. You've aged a little bit. You've, you've, you've matured, you've sobered, you've both literally and figuratively. <laughs> uh, and you've, it feels like you've kind of reached this point where you've, it feels like your work's really hitting your groove too. Yeah. Right. It kind of, I mean, am I, am I wrong in in reading that? I mean, I know we just met, but like, am I wrong in reading that that it feels like maybe like things are definitely on the upswing for for you, Steve?
1: Oh, dude. uh, I've led a charmed life. The things have been on the upswing mostly. (laughs) Um, I've had my challenges, but I've been, I've been a pretty lucky dude. Yeah, no, I, I think I would just put it slightly different way. I think you're reading into it correctly. I would put it in a slightly different way in that I think I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And there's
0: a certain okay. fairness. And and uh, I, so one of the reasons that I th- that I asked that question was this is kind of at the heart of what I am trying to kind of get at here, which is there's the there's the what, but there's also the why, mm-hmm. which is. Like the genuine idea of like, it's what am I making? But it's like, why the hell am I making it? And Mm -hmm. and why is this the way that I'm doing it? And for me, when I first thought I was doing this, it was like, oh, I'm going to find this answer. And the deal is, no, the question is the answer. Mm -hmm. The constant asking of the question every day is the answer. Mm -hmm. The, The idea of having this conversation all the time. Because if I ask you today, there's going to be an answer. If I ask you again tomorrow, there's going to be a different answer. So yeah. there's never a final answer is what I'm saying. So I guess what I'm what I'm kind of trying to get at is like, I sort of feel like you and I are in a similar place where we've maybe hit a, a spot or a groove with our work at a, at a point where that is atypical for <laughs> middle-aged dudes of our generation. Yeah. And, and, um, I'm wondering, what do you do with this now? Where do you go from here? Do you just keep doing that? like? Are you you're going to continue to put out the 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 journal every couple times a year, right? Yeah,
1: I'm working on the third one right okay. now. It should be out in April.
0: Oh wow, that's awesome! Yeah, can I can I ask who's going to be involved? Are you allowed to say?
1: Uh, I am. Uh, I would. I don't want to divulge not, right now, but but it, you, I'm, looking, I'm looking to my right because I have a dry erase board that has everybody's name whether they said yes or no understood right about and I'm looking over understood at it and, uh, uh, I'm I'm halfway to fully booked but I've I've got I've probably got six spots left if I take okay. myself out which is always a temptation um and I've probably got 12 asks out to specific
0: people okay now when you do that Steve do you ask people to write about specific stuff or do you leave it to them to what they're going to write about?
1: Sometimes I, I do a little bit of both. Like, uh, I'm trying to think like Annie's Zaleski, cause I'd worked with her before. I really wanted her involved, but I also said it, it would be great if you wrote about the bats and it just so happened She loved the bats. Um, I think, uh, I wrote about the whiffs. Uh, Marco Desantes, who wrote the cover story for Volume 2, which was about the Uni Boys, which is this amazing young L.A. band. Um, and the one of the lead singers in that band is the drummer in The Lemon Twigs. Um,
0: and, I did not realize that.
1: Yeah, he was I in The Uni Boys that. first, oh, wow. but like, he's been on tour with The Lemon Twigs. His name's Reza. He's a great drummer, and he's a fantastic guitarist and singer-songwriter. Um, I, I asked my old friend Marco Desantes to write that because I wanted the angle to be about how miraculous it is that the LA music scene rises up and dies out over and over. And it has been doing this for decades. And so the right. uni boys look an awful lot like the kind of bands that Marco and I used to play in, in LA, like right. the uni boys, like as weird as it is to say, cause I could like easily be their dads, right. But they're like in their early twenties. I can, I may be getting into grandpa territory. I'd have to do the math. Like if, if I had a kid at 16 and then my kid had a kid at 16, I could probably be their grandpa, but they're the kind of band that czar would have played with in a club. Right? Like it it would be a totally natural fit. So I wanted Marco because Marco was in bands forever. He was in a band called sugar cult that did really well. Um, And and he's, he teaches music and musicology at, at colleges around Los Angeles, super well connected in the punk community. And he just knocked it out of the park. And so I knew he was the right guy to write that particular story. Uh, there's a very important guitar pop anniversary album in that's the 2024 is going to be the anniversary of this landmark record. And so okay. there was somebody specific that I wanted to write about it. And so I asked that person to write this very specific article that would more than likely be the cover um, with, one of the important things with the guitar pop journal is I like to have current modern guitar pop artists, write to contribute um, with okay. them. I let them pick whatever they want to write about. So like All right. Mo Troper, who's a Portland singer songwriter and a, a producer, he's sort of like a, a he's a multi hyphenate, like so talented and a really amazing writer. Um, he wrote about Chris Bell's. I am the cosmos for the, for the first volume. And it is like stunningly well written. Um, so you know, it's just I I kind of play it by ear, but I do tailor it to the personality, like what I know of it's
0: Awesome. I I just like like I said, the the Annie piece was so good. That's the one that I, I I wrote a note about. But like, there were a couple of others that you shared on Remember the Lightning that I was like, damn, these are so good. And uh, I actually have a. I'm, I'm not even shitting you, Steve. I have a note here that says. Order RTL books. I literally have a note here that says that. Well, so, could you, could you share I that I note? Get with on five Amazon. Or 10 million people. <laughs> uh, I can hand. I. Uh, you know what? If I wait till if I wait till next Friday, I can order both of them. Uh, I can order one copy of each. <laughs> that's that's the sum total of my my book budget for January. Uh, but you get it all, my friend.
1: Well, listen. That is uh, that is an honor, and I really hope you enjoy both of them. I'm I'm very proud of. The I way can't it wait.
0: I love. Okay, first of all, uh, I don't want to suck up as a writer who would love to be published, but I, I do genuinely love what you're doing. I love the fact that you're making it a community thing. Um, it cracks me up that, of course, you know Ryan Allen. Like, of course, you do, because uh, everyone does. Everyone knows Ryan Allen.
1: That guy is um, that guy I, is pretty talented I, I, and a really great guy, man. He's
0: like, he's a really good dude. I hate him. What an asshole.
1: Did so the the essay he wrote for Volume 2 uh which is all about all the hardcore musicians that have gotten uh-huh. into power pop later in life? Yeah is phenomenal like it's uh like it's he interviews chris murphy from sloan and you know asks about his hardcore roots he's talking about the descendants he, like it, it is exactly the kind of interesting perspective on guitar pop that i'm looking yep. for i don't want the like much as i love shoes i don't want to like an article about how shoes are a hidden gem. Anybody who likes this music knows that shoes are a hidden gem and everybody should love right. shoes. Like I, I want interesting writing. I, I demand like the best writing somebody can give me. I want you to like put yourself into it. And so far everybody right. is, it's been, it's been amazing. But Ryan's piece, like it, it is, uh, everything I could have hoped for in a publication like this.
0: I, I was looking at the list and I was like, of course that asshole's on here. I was like, he's, just, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. Um, I must confess. I also got a little fanboyish when I was like, Oh wait, Steve knows Michael Chabon. Do tell. <laughs>
1: yeah. That was not through me. <laughs> that, was, that was through Paul. Myers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I, I saw that and I was like, Oh shit. I better, I better step up my game. His, like, uh, and Michael Chabon, his, his, that was the big star thing. Right.
1: Well, yeah, it, it, he kind of just wrote he he did wrote this really incredible distillation of the heartbreak of power pop. That's really what it's about. Yeah, it's a little bit about Badfinger and, you know, like just how it's this. Oh. It's this genre that like it has the word pop in it, but it's been failing for a really long time now.
0: Uh, I actually stumbled upon a uh, Tommy Keen quote recently, and I, I won't give it to you directly but in in essence what he's saying is if you've been saddled with that term it means you don't sell any records
1: so marco who i just mentioned in the first volume of go all the way uh wrote a wrote an essay called surrender about his band sugar cult that was like they were from santa barbara they wore white dress shirts and skinny black ties and they had shag haircuts and they were playing pop music um but in in the time it was the late 90s early early 2000s if you called them Power Pop, man, they were like, oh, we're not Power Pop. We are not Power Pop. Do not call us Power Pop. Um, because they wanted a record deal. Um, and right. consequently, uh, they ended up putting out a record and falling in with the Warped Tour emo crowd, even though they were playing something much closer to Power Pop, in my estimation. Marco would probably kill me. Right. But uh, And ended up, like, freaking touring the world, opening for Green Day and Blink-182, like literally playing Wembley Stadium. Um, Wow. What band was uh, this? So they wrote, he wrote about how the reason bands don't want to be called Power Pop is because it basically just ends your career, whether or not you know it. (laughs) Yeah. As I said, I've been in a band for 15 years. It's called Surrender because of the Cheap Trick song, but at the end, he's like, all right, we probably were a Power Pop band, but I can only admit that because the band's been broken up for a decade. (laughs)
0: Right, yeah. right. Um, and uh, you, know, y- you know, you know, you want to say, well, everybody knows the shoes is a hidden gem. Everybody knows the cheap trick kicks ass. It doesn't yeah. mean that you shouldn't still say it once in a while.
1: I'm just saying, in terms of the writing, I'll have a conversation about shoes any day. But like, I'm no, no, I, no, no. I just mean band. like,
0: like, no, cheap tricks a band. where like, I feel like it's real easy to go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, that band's fucking great. That band's great.
1: Bunny Carlos might be the actual reason I started playing drums. Like in all the music my brother played for me, the the drummer that really caught my attention in real time was Bunny Carlos. Wow. And it was the single stroke falling down the stair rolls. If you listen to anything I play, ever played on now you will hear that i'm just kind of doing that over and over <laughs> like i've got like three tricks
0: i love that i love that you can admit that that you can that you can uh accept and admit that at middle age that's fantastic oh, steve dude. this was such a treat man i god i could do this forever dude this can't be the only time we have this conversation
1: i'm happy to talk anytime in fact uh did you hit it record because i feel like that was a good warm-up Do you want to like maybe that was yeah. A good let's, go. let's go let's go
0: look okay. we got we got all right we got 90 minutes in let me stop this one We'll take it. We'll all piss cuz we're old and then we'll start off. Yep. That was pretty um, good. Can you do one more take? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One more time. Uh, did you ever watch Toast of London with Matt Berry? No. Do you know Matt Berry? Matt Berry from uh like he was on IT Crowd and then he's yeah. also he's also on uh What We Do in the Shadows? Yeah. And um he he did a he did a character called Stephen Toast where he was this guy who did audiobooks and he did theater in London. And he's this very proper, real shitty actor. And the deal is he keeps continually doing these voiceovers. And he has this guy in his ear who works in the booth named Clem Fandango who's constantly giving him a hard time. <laughs> and. So, and so when you were like, were we recording? I'm like, I wanted to just lean in and go Clem Fandango. Can you hear me?
1: Well, listen, man, I uh, it was a blast talking to you I, uh, that, that so one good, and half you. is both fantastic, but it's also horrifying to me because I don't remember. It's terrifying. It's ahead. terrifying.
0: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll both remember when it airs in a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, um, just get it. De- just edit
1: it down to a nice tight 25 and we should be good. I,
0: yeah, that'll only take me four days. <laughs> um, thank you for doing this, Steve. I really, really appreciate it, man.
1: No, it was great hanging out. uh, Really great chat. Anytime uh, you want to chat again.
0: I I would love to chat again, even off the record. All right? All right, man. Talk to you soon. There you go. S.W. Laudan. Isn't that great? Great writer. Great drummer super good dude, really interesting stories, um, super interesting perspective. I, I really loved that conversation. I hope that you did too. Please make sure you are subscribed wherever you're listening to this podcast and over at the Substack. It's whatamimaking.substack.com. Sign up for a paid or a free subscription today. Remember, paid subscriptions start for as little as $5 a month. Make sure you are getting a hold of me to submit your list of 13 films to get to know you. Make sure you are letting me know if you've got a place for me to play out on the road this summer. Get your cards for the postcard program. Check out the radio show. Make sure you're voting in our Best Bands of the 90s Bracket Challenge. This thing is going to be so much freaking fun. Leave comments. Let's get some real conversation going. Let's get the talk moving on this thing. Don't forget, speaking of talk, you can also leave me a message at speakpipe.com. Slash, what am I making? Until next time, I am your host, Maddie C. I will see you over on the blog, my friends. Thank you for all your support and love. Cheers. That there was another real special edition of Maddie C and his ADHD. Bye-bye.